Make it quick, Admiral. They are moving him to the Federation funny farm. Yes, poor friend. I hear he's fruity as a nutcake. Two minutes. Jim. How many fingers do I have up? That's not very damn funny. Your sense of humor's returned. A hell it has. What's that? Lexerin. Lexerin? What for? You're suffering from a Vulcan mind meld, Doctor. That green-blooded son of a bitch. It's his revenge for all those arguments he lost. Do you expect me to talk? and welcome to episode 45 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host, Becca, and joining us on this intellect plant voyage, always us. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 45 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host, Becca, Mr. and... Mr. Methane! <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Methane! <laughs> and Anton Decron and Lolo Ferrari. <laughs> Hello, the, the late Lolo Ferrari. Late Lolo Ferrari. Joining us on this intergalactic voyage is Dave, Chris... And our special guest, Charlie, from Films on Wax. How are you guys doing? I'm okay. I'm drinking a fine uh, whiskey. I don't know about you guys, but yeah, I'm pretty, pretty good. So that teetotal thing went out the window. <laughs> <then>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm okay. Charlie? I'm stupidly hot. I'm actually... It's <laughs> yes, I've, I've seen we photos. <laughs> it's a very good thing this is a uh, an audio podcast and not a very good a video podcast because I'm actually I'm, my pants. I'm just I'm having uh, images of Charlie lying on the bed like in any kind of seductive pose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's nothing seductive you, about this uh, in the slightest. Do, do you need a comfort break, Chris? <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got my whiskey. I'm fine. Well, if it makes you feel any better, we're all, all we're all in our pants too, but other clothes as well. <laughs> I'm fully clothed, I'll have you know. <laughs> well, that's ruined it for... Oh, this guy thinks you've got a sexy voice. <laughs> but it has been quite hot and sticky of late, so... Well. I'll, I'll, I'll let you off. <laughs> yeah, okay. Not like that. I'm <laughs> okay. Oh, dear, dear. Anyway. So in summary, good evening. My face, my face hurts already. Oh. This week, it's all about Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, starring William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, Michelle Nichols, James Doohan, Walter Koenig, George Takei, Robin Curtis, Merritt Buttrick, and Christopher Lloyd, written by Harvey Bennett, with a score by James Horner, and directed by Leonard Nimoy, and released in 1984. So, what do we reckon to this third Star Trek movie? Dave, you can go first. Thanks. <laughs> uh, well, I think, it, I think... Of the, the awards I would give this film, frankly, are most extraordinary tracksuit. Uh, <laughs> that is quite the fashion statement from the chat. Uh, 
80s tracksuit. I know, it's incredible. Um, first 50 minutes of this film I actually really like. Um, I think it calls back to the last film really well. And the whole sort of um, uh, hijacking of the, the, the old stealing of the Enterprise, I love. I really like the new Excelsior. It carries on the sort of theme of the passage of time, I guess. Um, but then it kind of descends a little bit for me. I, I find what, once they get a, out of space dock and away and up to warp, the film's very thin and there's not a lot to it. Um, whilst I've, I've often complained Star Trek budgets in later years have been too high almost for what the, the series is ever likely to do. Uh, this is all shot on a soundstage. And when you're trying to shoot a planet that doesn't look very good, the shots gained a bit of weight. Uh, it's all looking a bit lazier than last week. It's not terrible, but I don't like it anywhere near as much as, as some of the films around it in this series. Yeah, I, I kind of ag- agree with what Dave said, but probably less favourably. I mean, I, I, I don't think this is a particularly good film at all. Uh, but I, it, I mean, what he says about the film being thin, I think that is its ultimate failing. There isn't enough meat on the bones of the, of the narrative to really justify... Uh, a feature-length film, and I'm not a fan of the to-be-continued kind of ending that uh, some like franchises have. Like I know, I know this is kind of like a, a loose sort of trilogy with Rafa Khan and Voyage Home, but I always always feel like when films end with with that, I, I, I just feel like well, you, it's, that's just like an unfinished story. You're not really, you, 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 you're not you're not really sort of ending in a, 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 a satisfactory place. So, no yeah, no, and it's just, it just, and and by the time we get to the ending, because what we had has been so thin, as, as Dave said, it just feels like, well, you know, could you not done anything better? I mean, I, I, it, it, I wouldn't have minded too much. Usually, uh, when films are relatively, you know, you know, thin on narrative, they tend to be sort of over stylized, or you can kind of like, you know, you enjoy like the, the you know, style of substance kind of th- kind of thing, you know. But whereas this has been like a first uh, directorial debut from Nimoy, it it feels very flat. I mean, I, I you know he, he doesn't do a terrible job, but it's it's it, but it it does nothing but sort of stands out. There's no panache. There's nothing makes it sort of you know like pop the screen. There's no like big moment. That I feel like that that's generally like you know that's cool. That sort of stays in your mind. It's all relatively like meh. Generally speaking, and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't. I think this is probably one of the, the lowest parts in the franchise for me. Did you think it kind of lives up to the curse of of the even the odd numbered ones being? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny because I, I always remembered this one kind of favourably, but after seeing it uh, recently, I'm just like, oh no, I don't think so. I I I, I dare say it. I probably prefer five over this. But well, I guess we'll get to that. <laughs> I, I might, I might have a change of heart when I watch it. But yeah, well, yeah, well, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. But um, that, yeah, that moment. This is, this is the the lowest point in it for me. I'm going to step in and say that I probably agree with you, Chris. Um, okay. No, I, I enjoyed it. But obviously, the second one, I, I, I love. It's great. Um, but yeah, this film, I thought Nemo's direction was, was okay. But yeah, there wasn't very much flair there. It was quite, quite sort of standard. Um, yeah, and it's, it's enjoyable, but yeah, needs. I, I was looking for more, really, um, and it just kind of undid a lot of the things laid down in the in the previous film. Um, but I, I would probably say three out of five. 
I, I think I didn't love it, but I didn't. I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. it, but I, I really enjoyed it, um, but I, I didn't love it. But yeah, three out of five. But anyway, Charlie. It's hard to look at this and kind of separate my feelings from being a Star Trek fan as well. Um, I think it's a good film for fast forward. I think it's definitely it is thin, um, but I think there are a lot of moments there that I really really love. Um, and I don't know whether that's down to nostalgia and being a Starship fan, but or just generally how, how I kind of feel about it. Um, so I, th- I think there's kind of Dave mentioned one of the biggest things um, with the fact that it is or yeah, it's all shot on sound stages, and they wanted to go kind of further off to Hawaii or whatever, but Paramount wouldn't shell out for it. With that being the case, it feels very much like a bit more of a TV production. And Nimoy, again, because he doesn't necessarily have the same flair as um, as Nicholas Meyer did in terms of directing. Um, so I think from that, I, I don't know if this was Nimoy's first theatrical direction, but he did. I know he did a lot of TV previously, and I think he yeah. directed stuff like TJ yeah. Hooker and things like that. Yeah, and I think it's like he did a few TV things here and there, um, but yeah, this is an actual first feature-length film. So you know, mm. it's, it's not you know, I'm not being too, it's not terrible. Yeah, I'm not being too critical of Nimoy because it's like you know, it is like oh, first yeah. go, but you know, it's it's understandable. But when it comes to uh, a direct, a direct, uh, a director of choice who's going to deal with the subject. You want something with more meat, something that's like you know, okay, well the the direction's a bit flat, but at least we got a really good plot and a really good with loads of ideas, you know, and character moments, you know. Whereas it doesn't deliver on either front, so it it it, it it's it's lacking on all fronts for me anyway, you know. That, that that's that's the part where I can where I really disagree. In terms of character moments and kind of the big moments, I mean, the the Enterprise being destroyed is kind of like the big one, and that's kind of Kirk's oh. big moment. Sure. And also when when David is killed as well. Um, yeah, I've just, shot, I, I, I've just shot myself in the foot with that argument. No, yeah, no, but you, you, are, you, you, you you're all right. I mean, there are moments in there. Uh, I won't discount. There are, are, are that on himself for killing the son of MacGyver last week. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Um, Son of MacGyver. I think, again, coming from a Star Trek fan point of view, is uh, this this is something that's kind of basically kind of saving one of the Star Trek itself with Spock. And that's why, see, I, I, not, I didn't quite understand what you meant with the to be continued bit. For, because me, it says, and the adventure continues, but that's not, I never took that as a to be continued. I took that as Spock's back, Star Trek is back, we can have our old ventures again, but not as a cliffhanger. Yeah. Mm. I, I, Makes sense. I, 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 will, he, will he have tea or coffee? We I, 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 I guess, I guess, but then it, it, we, we know that, well, the Enterprise is destroyed, so... Um, you know, what's going to happen there? So we know there's another story. You know, it, it still feels like... There's more oh, to yeah. come, you know. Like, yeah, but I, I don't think it's it's kind of as open ended as something like Empire Strikes Back or something like that. Yeah, um, but it's, it's a different scale. And, and, and again, and the Enterprise kind of being blown up is, is is a big moment. And again, compared to Wrath of Khan and kind of like the kind of the energy a lot of that film had, and um, here it's a lot more really kind of melancholy. There's a, a lot of kind of 
scenes here, which understandably I, I can kind of appreciate why some people perhaps wouldn't get on with some of them, um, because there are some kind of long kind of draw out scenes, and, and some of it is just really, really kind of melancholy, um, because this is kind of all about the aftermath and dealing with a friend long gone, and then deciding what is the best course of action to kind of bring all that back. In, in a weird kind of way, do you think the film kind of suffers for not having Spock in it for its entire running time until, like, the very end? Do you think there's, like, a Spock-shaped hole in the entire film? I kind of do, but I think they kind of bring that off with... Um, sorry, bring that off, really. Um, <laughs> bring each other off to, like... <laughs> and the other think, thing is, if Spock had been on the bridge while he went looking for Spock, I think that would have been yeah. a narrative error. <laughs> A bit weird. <laughs> it, it could have been like one of the things where, like, uh, it, it happens in the first thirty minutes. Is like, well, if Spock, oh, here he is. <laughs> like, you well, know, Genesis, and like, I've been sat here all the time. <laughs> oh <laughs> shit! What a, wa- what a waste of petrol. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, it was a clone that died. It's fine. Clone. Our mission. We need to find Spock. Uh, Captain, I'm right here. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of. I think with the way they kind of put Spock together with McCoy is quite funny. Yeah, and kind of to, yeah. have, to have those two personalities together in one body and kind of slip back and forth from that is is quite a fun idea. Yeah, it's the best um, sitcom set they, in a brain. It's, yeah, it's, it's like the old couple in one person. Yeah. I, I I think that was probably more of a favourite part in, in in it. I mean, I I do agree with you about the Enterprise blowing up, but I just feel like. That moment and with uh, David getting killed could have been done better. It should have felt more emotional, should have felt more of an impact, should have been more cinematic than it actually was. I mean, I think, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah it's, it's okay. It's okay it's in the way it's dealt, but I, I, I feel like something along those lines should have been dealt with better. It should have hit harder, at least coming from someone like, me, who's not necessarily like a huge Star Trek fan, you know, I, you know, it should feel like this is a big deal, and I don't think it actually, I don't think it actually did uh, on this viewing. I, I, I guess that's the thing, because because David's death is is kind of, I like I like it because it is really underplayed. Yeah, and I think compared to kind of like you have the set pieces like where they you have the ones where they steal the Enterprise and you have the one where they have the fight with the with the um with the, the um. Doc Brown on his Klingon ship, <laughs> yeah. and, and then following with his that, pet dog. and then and then, he has, the, and, and then he has the fight with him on the on the planet and all that kind of thing, and then they blow, and they blow up the Enterprise. So it's kind of like it's, it is when you kind of look at it structurally, it is very much kind of set piece, set piece, set piece, set piece. So I kind of like that way it's kind of understated. I mean, maybe we can kind of get back into that a bit more when we kind of go through the uh, go through the film itself. In which case, shall we discuss this film sequentially? Mr. Methane's getting well more talented with his tunes, isn't he? We did announce him as a guest. He's got very little to say tonight. So, um, um, so we, we basically start off with a recap of um, the Rafa Khan, really, essentially, don't we? We, just, we start Yeah, it's with, basically the end of a yeah. rocky film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. The, the montage. Yeah, of, yeah the montage uh, where he kind of selfishly gives himself up. Yeah, and it's 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 quite nice the way it kind of starts um, black and white, and then kind of slowly saturates in. Yeah, really. That was like a nice that. touch as well. That was um, um on the whole, obviously, just being like 80s graphics. Um, this is almost um the most um the, the, 
the effects that I like most of this film, apart from that, and then the warp effect, I think is a really nice touch. Yeah, I think while they didn't while they didn't shell out for uh, actually going on location or anything like that, they put a lot of money into the effect the effects mm. and kind of like did the budget and designing new ships and stuff and with stuff like the space dock and things like that and the bird of prey um, and the, the effects are, are pretty amazing in a lot of cases, a lot of scenes for a sixteen million dollar film. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. Like the cloaking the cloaking effects as well between the, the Klingon uh, warships. I think they were pretty impressive yeah, actually for, yeah. for, for the time. For a film that's as old as me, so just... <laughs> we need got we need got. Uh, I think one of the things with this film is that it feels like a whole film just undoing the last film because Nimoy changed his mind halfway through. Yeah, but no, um, I'm going to come back. Yeah, I mean they, they were going to um, at one point they did briefly put into development a sort of calm um, prequel, the years on set of Alpha Five, but. That, that didn't last for very long. What we end up with, I think, kind of starts fairly promisingly. We've got another James Horner score. A lot less showy than the last one, I, th- I would say, Charlie. Yeah, well, again, because the main theme of, of this film is kind of like the B theme of, of the, um, the Wrath of Khan's main theme. Right. Okay. Um, so with the Wrath of Khan, you had the big kind of do 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 do, and that's kind of like the big naval inspired. This is kind of we're going to. It's not navy. Gene Roddenberry Khan. said. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, <laughs> it's the Boy um, Scouts or something. And uh, <laughs> whereas whereas the theme for this is kind of do kind of like the B the B theme. So it's a. Uh, um, got us immediately with the, with those credits from the Genesis planet kind of pulling back. Um, it's kind of got you immediately a much more melancholy and kind of thoughtful tone to it. Um, and then with those credits, which by the way, obviously they didn't mention Leonard Nimoy in the uh, in the credits. Starring um, Edward Snowden. So <laughs> no, yeah, there's a big gap, isn't there? Um, where his name should be. It's oh, nice, sorry. Sorry, it's, it's nice to see the credits are actually uh, you know trying to be non-spoiler. Terrific. Even though it's, even though spots like all over the publicity office. <laughs> Sorry, Leonard yeah, Nimoy. That's, that's Blofeld Khan. Yeah, Blofeld Khan. Yeah, the fact they called it the search for spot. <clears throat> I um, had the ending like so we couldn't find it. Nah, we <laughs> so can give away the ending. So yeah, if, if they hadn't found it by the ending, that would have been infuriating. Um, <laughs> I want my money back. <laughs> and again, look, and it would have been hilarious, though, wouldn't it? Where is he? Nimoy, just 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 Kirk and McCoy just like sort of like shrugging into the camera, going like, "Well, we tried." <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right, and all the all one. the while, there's a B there's a B plot with uh, just Savick's story. It's called the Search for Cock. <laughs> <laughs> but I do quite like. Um, obviously, we join we join the Enterprise on the way home, battered. Yeah, yeah, and battered and bruised. Batman's had a few few donuts on the way home. About fifty-three. I'm not really knocking him for it. He looks fine. It's just oh. it's no, taking it up good. two minutes. It's taking up right after the last last film, and yeah. clearly a couple of years have gone by. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously he's morning still. He's you know, obviously comfort eating. You know, it's <laughs> oh. a lot of weight to put on in twenty minutes, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> That's a shame. Oh dear. Ate well, all the donuts. He, he had a he had a very large dinner. You know, that's all. He had box rations as well. 
I guess that's that's one thing about these films that feels different to the um, to the reboot is that it feels like time is passing on these ships. Whereas with the reboot, where you can go, well, warp speed just it goes nowhere straight away. It's like hyperspace, and it kind of goes into this because obviously we see a bit there when we hear about trans warp and things like that. And in the first of the JJ Star Trek films, um, you have Scotty with his trans warp thing that manages to do that. And then in Star Trek Into Darkness, you have the super warps as uh, the super transporter um, yes. with. Uh, with Khan. Yeah. So death Travis, is cured and starships are obsolete. Oh, the, the stakes tribble. have never been higher. <laughs> Watch out the tribbles wiggling. Um wiggling <laughs> tribble. And uh <laughs> so 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 kind of like tra- the travelling really has no time. Yeah. That, that 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 notion of tra- actually travelling a long way um really kind of has no concept there whereas here um while it is kind of like right after Ratha Khan, they're on their way home. We don't know how long it's been. But he's um, had time to gain 20 pounds, so it's got to have been a while. Um, and, uh, and obviously very much in a, uh, in a mourning state and um, kind of very much going from that. And then it's nice to get an immediate introduction to the Klingons having their first kind of like proper role in the, in the films. With uh, Commander Krug, Christopher Lloyd from uh, obviously from Back to the Future, and I think at that point Taxi was still going as well, the TV show. Yeah, this is yeah, pretty Back of, um, to the Future, actually. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's pretty much like yeah, six degrees pretty, of separation yeah, via yeah. Taxi and and Back to the Future, isn't it? So um, yeah. I found it quite distracting. Um, obviously, I've known no more for also Back to the Future and for Taxi, and then I was like. You know, it's Christopher Lloyd. What was it? The Christopher Lloyd, and I just found it really distracting. But um, it's heavy, isn't I, it, Becca? <laughs> Great Scott! You're not thinking, <laughs> you're not thinking fourth dimensionally. No, clearly not. But, um, I guess it's really good to see them turn up. I love all like, the costumes and that weird lizard dog thing is a bit strange. But I just found it, him very distracting in the role. He was good. He gave a good yeah. performance, but I was just uh, distracted by the fact that it was Christopher Lloyd, and that was my problem. I, I with guess. It. I guess that's the thing because I mean, Christopher Lloyd was kind of he was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes, he was and, as well. And things like that. So. And, and Danny's Vito as well, which is uh, quite surprising because they were quite sort of that sound quite comedic sort of actors who were both in Taxi as well. Yeah. yeah. And they're in this like sort of really heavy, heavy, serious drama. And then, uh, and then, so yeah, to, to, to kind of see him in these kind of films um, is a bit strange. And I don't know if it's some kind of kind of coup at the time. I suppose he wasn't really a massive actor until Back to the Future anyway. So again, the, it's kind of difficult um, to uh, to not look at this kind of retrospectively and him as someone we already know as that kind of iconic character. I think I don't think it would have been a massive get at this stage, to be honest with you. He's just a character actor who's got, true, known yeah. for a couple of roles. I think I, I really quite like the start of this film. They come home battered and damaged Mm. Uh, you get a, you know, we, we've paid, we've paid for this with our dearest blood. Yeah. Really, really broken really up. Nice line. But trying to keep his crew focused because they, as he said, this his whole crew is is well, I forget the words he uses now, but he basically says you're all obsessed with Spock. Mm. At the point where they sort of feel, see see some presence in his quarters. Yeah, because he it's, it's interesting because he says as well that the training. The trainees have all been reassigned. Yeah. 
So that's obviously something that had to have happened on the uh, on, on the way home. Well, there's a couple of there's a couple of things that I just don't get in this film. One is that, and the other thing is they treat the decommissioning of the Enterprise like a surprise birthday party. In that, yeah. like, I I I wouldn't want to get home on my ship to be told. Oh, by the way, that's it. <laughs> Disappointing. <laughs> I thought I might know before that. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know if if. Um, if if they kind of they tried to set up that guy as kind of like the uh, like uh, the evil uh, um, <laughs> headmaster or principal, like in like the guy in Animal House, it's the kind of they have oh, to yeah. get their, do their wily tricks to get round. Um, but, I mean, the the, the kind so, of the, uh, they had the toga party in the original series. The space doc sequence I really like, um, especially from James Horner's music. Uh, again, it's something. It's kind of like okay, um, because everyone liked the last one. We've kind of put more budget into this one, and you can have this beautiful model, the space dock model. And again, and again, it's it's something that Rafa Khan didn't really show, but the motion picture did that we go back to, which is the kind of scale of these things. Yeah, where you see how kind of small the Enterprise is compared to this, and but and just, big as well because the shot I always remember from that. Until I listened to the commentary and they talked about scale when it was leaving, which mm. I, I yes they're absolutely right. But it was when the secondary hole comes into um, view through the window. Yeah, and, yeah, and and Rand is actually there, um, and they it just looks enormous. So I do like all that. It's got a very slow, stately feel to it, not overly drawn out, but they're big pieces of kit that have got to be manoeuvred carefully. Mm. I, I liked. Um Scotty's reaction to the uh, the new starship that is uh, supposedly like replacing the Enterprise is 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 kind of very much like a bit sniffy about it because he because I watched the uh, that Tribbles episode uh, not long ago and in that episode you you, you do understand the fact that Scotty it actually does takes pride in Enterprise he he loves the Enterprise he, he's you know it's like he he punched a Klingon because it dissed the Enterprise not because it dissed Captain <laughs> Kirk you know. You know, so so for so for this like other starship to come along to kind of like replace the Enterprise is kind of like a what the how f- oh, fucking dare they replace the the ship? You know, it's essentially he loves the ship. You know, the ship is kind of like a part of him. You know, in, in a manner of speaking. So I kind of like that aspect how he's kind of re- completely resents like the what the, is it what, what's the, what's the new ship called? Is it Excelsior? Yeah, Excelsior. Yeah, the the Stanley, the SS Stanley. Yeah, Stanley uh, reference there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 I did like that that part of it. I actually think that the Excelsior is a beautiful model. I think it's a mm. lovely ship with a lot of sort of detail on the on the saucer section in it, in its kind of um, shading and all the rest of it. I really like it. We'll we'll see it adapted kind of as the Enterprise B later, um, and we'll also see the Excelsior in a, in a later film. And they do use the model through the next generation era for different things. Mm. Uh, I think it's a really nice ship. I think Scotty's the one person who doesn't take on up on board any of the lessons of the last film at all. You know, embracing aging and, and time and all the rest of it. I mean, even even the next generation episode he appears in many, many years later. It's all about like nostalgia and not really moving on at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, in the next couple of films they do foreshadow Sulu's interest in that in that craft. Yeah, that's quite interesting as well. He gets yeah. a bit of a moment, doesn't did, he? So, did, did we mention the the deleted scene from Star Trek Two in the last one? Which one? Where Sulu is is 
given captain of the Excelsior. No. No? There was suppo- there was, I've never seen it, but supposedly there was a deleted scene in Star Trek 2 where Sulu was told that he was being given captain of a ship called the Excelsior. That's but, quite promotion which, paths sit doing the same job for 20 years and, oh, captain! Curious. <laughs> <laughs> um, Is that steering well? Um, that's some nice so, Is that steering well? Would you like to command 600 people? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, that came into fruition later. Um, You get a drop reference to it in the next film as well. Yeah. Well, this is always kind of interesting to me about this film and the next film and the next film after that Mm. um, is that this is much more of a Star Trek that is taking a bit more of a liberal approach to comedy. And uh, a lot of it, it kind of, it feels, uh, I mean, some Star Trek's always finally kind of felt like a musical at times to me anyway, because you have the, this kind of ensemble cast, obviously broken down with the leads and, and these kind of secondary characters, but they're kind of like where they all get occasional lines. And when you hear, when you kind of watch that space dock scene and you hear kind of like them talk, speaking that, he says, would you look at that? Uhura says... And then Sulu kind of, yeah, I said, like talks it kind of glassy eyed. And then Scotty has his little fit. And you can almost imagine that in a, as a song. Okay. I've never really thought <laughs> okay. about that. No. Um, just, just, I guess, just the way it's, it's always kind of structured with the kind of individual lines and stuff. And to, be honest, I, uh, to be honest, Charlie, I'm struggling to concentrate on this point, not because it's a bad point, but, but my brain is stuck with huh. what's coming in terms of the tracksuit. <laughs> <laughs> that All I keep seeing is Kurt going home to change into his kitty fiddler outfit. <laughs> oh. oh, ouch. It's a bit dodgy. So they get home, they're told not to talk about Genesis, and they're told the Enterprise, which at this point is a Gabriel years. 20. <laughs> not now Phil Collins is now taking over it now no but it is at this point the Enterprise is 20 years old which is interesting because it's kind of I think this was set I don't know how many years after the five year mission but that kind of takes into account the uh, kind of previous captains as well April and Pike and oh. then from then on in they have a toast to Spock and the Enterprise and there's a certain item of clothing. Well, to be honest, everything they wear really is kind of strange. But Dave, indulge yourself. No, really. no, it's absolutely Tracks- fine. To be, to be honest with you, the worst out. I mean, the tracksuit's pretty bad, but that's just a sign of the times. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of the like the the purple frilly shirt that Kirk wears over over his uh, under his leather jacket. It just looks. You know, because the fact that he gets stuck with that for the entire film and the next film as well, it, it just it, it is better than the tracksuit, though. Yeah, yeah, it's an but improvement over the tracksuit. I must I'm say, I'm not fond of what they put Chekhov in. <laughs> That's really no, cool. what, what is that? Someone please explain. And and <laughs> Sulu looks like he's been out in the garden playing superheroes just before. <laughs> with a little cape. Yeah, it's actually bad. Something. He kind of looks cool when he starts strutting his funky stuff a bit later. Um, <laughs> he goes, "Don't call me tiny." <laughs> yeah, I love all that. But all joking aside, uh, sartorial choices aside, which may date this film more than almost any of the others, quite simply because they spend less time in uniforms. And it does. And also when you see the bridge of the Excelsior later on, that's that's a bit my first Starship bridge. (laughs) Uh, That's that's very that's instantly dated. It looks it looks almost of the 60s. So but those things aside, 
it still has my interest at this point. You feel their pain, their weariness. And then Sarek comes in. We see Sarek for the first time in the, um, in the film mm. series. And I really like this scene. That's a really good scene, I think. It's good to kind of see him like back as it was, you know, reposing the role. So. I, I don't know, it's problematic for me because I just think, you know, Sarek comes out and like chews, chews out Kirk and Kirk's like, but how the fuck am I supposed to know that I should, I should <laughs> take his body to vault? You know, he like, he had, a, he had a, like a decent amount of time for me to, t- to tell him, to tell me on, you know, before he died, go, oh, by the way, take McCoy and my dead body to Vulcan. They might sort me out. Cheers. You know, he <laughs> could have solved this whole problem, but like, you know, but, but Sarah comes in, comes in and just says like, no, you're meant to be well, like a canoe. Yeah. Things. But he did, he did it to McCoy. Yeah, well, but obviously it didn't work, though, did it? It didn't, you know. It did. Started, well, it did no. But then no, Kirk didn't know that, did he? Obviously, yeah. he did the whole remember thing to, to McCoy, but then obviously Kirk didn't realise that. Yeah, so. if Spock had been mates for years and this has never come up, and the whole, like, bringing back to Vulcan and then when they sort of relink him with his body later, I'm thinking, how often does that come up? Because no. Genesis can't happen very long. There are a lot of problems with this film and, and the whole but logic I- of this scene. I'm kind of with you, Chris, but I just think it's really well played. Yeah, and, and, it's, it's really well done. But I think in terms of it serves as a, a memory jog for the you know for the previous film as well. Just oh yeah, this is what happened. We did the whole remember scene, and then he goes back and watches the footage. Um, it just it just serves as like a visual memory aid, I think. Yeah, and and it kind of explains itself in that footage where he says it was not you, and he says we we were he, we were separated because he says he would not have spoken of it openly, kind of thing. So, but yeah, there's, there's that kind of feel, and then kind of explains why McCoy is talking about Vulcan, climb the steps, climb the steps of Mount, Mount Salaire in that scene originally, where again, it's kind of like this kind of mystery that comes on with Spock's quarters and then with McCoy, and you think, hmm, what's going on there? And then this kind of starts to, uh, oh, yeah. to shed some light on that. Yeah, I, I do like about that scene uh, where like oh like they're just breaking in at Spock's quarters so Kirk goes in like first I'd be the captain of the ship rather than let security <laughs> go in first just to check <laughs> it's typical Kirk though so he just made me laugh <laughs> his friends his friends sacrifice though I, I actually buy that yeah I actually buy that quite well and McCoy is completely bug-eyed as well Mm. When, he, when he's found, it's clearly very deranged. Good performance by uh, DeForest Kelly, I think. But yeah, that's the bit we missed. That sort of leads to, okay, what's happened? And Kirk decides to... Uh, they mind melt, which I think is ni- a nice, gently played scene. Yeah. And then they review the film's footage, which happens to be nicely edited and from multiple angles. Yeah. It's almost if like, they just sat down and watched Rafa wasn't it? <laughs> They probably did. <laughs> we, missed the, we missed the two hours where they were like eating popcorn and going. <laughs> I think this is, I think this is the best work we ever done. Yeah, this was good. Look at my scene here. <laughs> hey, do you know what? I was going to study that that thing that came out this year because that's what Gene Roddenberry would have wanted. <laughs> hey, don't you think David's dressed for a picnic? <laughs> So yeah, that that is a flaw. I mean, you get it a lot. It's a bit of a cliche about films, really, when they review old footage. But it's really notable here. I kind of wish they cut the amount of footage we saw just so we could buy it. But we are clearly watching scenes from. It, other do countries. you think they just try and rely on it too much? You know, like rather than sort of tell it officially. Because that's what kind of I thought. Even when for on the beginning of the film, where they kind of like all oh, this recap with the last film, it's like I don't. I don't think we necessarily need that when we start the film with Kirk 
with with Kirk's like log, basically sort of like explaining everything that's kind of already happened. We kind of know where we are, you know. Like you know, I don't think outside audiences will would need that necessarily the the catch up. They they could gather what's happening, you know, as the film progresses. I guess it's just to kind of get you in that mood. Yeah, and I, kind I, of. I like it in terms of the opening of the film. And it's a very TV thing as well. Yeah, I I get that. And and don't forget, as I say, it's getting a bit more common by 1984, but VHSs are still far from universal. Yeah. Um, And I I just like it. I like the reminder and this idea of treating films as though they were a few years apart. I, I don't have a problem with that. I do think it's overdone with the footage here because it it calls out the glaring problems of this film, which are that it was never designed to be this way. It's a bit throwaway. And also it's not trusting the audience at all because we know how troubled McCoy is. They even use a bit of Leonard Nimoy's voice over him later on. That's a really clever effect, I think. He's so inhabited by him. I think that would be enough for the sort of leap of faith rather than, like, let's watch the last ten minutes of the last film just to see what happened. Oh, here it is. This was take four, you know. I don't know. It, it, I just, it, it's not that bad, but it's clearly... We're going to see the same thing next week, where you think, where did they get that footage from? <laughs> yeah. Charlie knows exactly what I mean. Yes, I do. And stock, <laughs> but st- stock footage has always been kind of like a thing of Star Trek anyway. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a. Um, I'm not saying you couldn't use any of it, Charlie. I'm just saying that like, oh no, watching, no, no, watching it not, all no. stitched together is fine. Why could we not just see a slightly grainier mm. version of the scene where he puts his hands on uh, McCoy and says, "Remember, yeah." That that we would buy, all right, it's an odd angle, but we could just about suspend disbelief that that is a grainy piece of CTTV footage. Yeah, just make it like a quick shot and then like, you know, just... Yeah. Spend, don't edit spend, it yeah. all together. Don't and believe it. Yeah, yeah just I'm like... Surprised. I mean, it would, the only thing that could have made it worse is had, had he pressed play on it and it had been fully scored by James... <laughs> <laughs> That was a little bit obvious. Thing. Just coming tinny out of the speakers. <laughs> oh, I love this bit. This is my favourite part of the last film. Maybe, they just, maybe they've just seen Blade Runner a few too many times. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Enhanced. Enhanced, enhanced. Oh, God. I just got a Bourne film flashback there where they enhanced <laughs> the grainiest footage of all time to get a perfect <laughs> much shot. Um, Could well, be any yeah, grainier uh, if it tried. That, that aside, um, the way Shatner plays this scene is pretty cool. They kind mm. of photograph him, craft him quite nicely a bit, um, for this bit. And I kind of like it. And I, and I like the scene that comes up. Apart from his slightly leading man look to the side while his Admiral is talking to him. <laughs> I, I, that is kind of, yes, I'm thinking. Um, I quite like this scene. I quite like that scene where he goes to try to convince him. We know he's not convinced you know, at all that he shouldn't undertake this. But I love it. We know what he's really thinking. Hmm. You might as well have held up cue cards for us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking. <laughs> this is my thinking face. Yeah. <clears throat> I think uh, uh, worth mentioning by this point is the uh, um, the B plot with the uh, with Commander Krug and the uh, the Genesis planet being investigated by Savick and yeah. David on a science ship, the Grissom. Yeah. Yeah. 
unusual design, very different design of mm. spaceship. Kind of like it. Um, we've got a different Savic this week. Yes. What do we think of the new Savic? Not Kirsty Alley. Yeah. Yes, that's her name. <laughs> um, yeah. It was actually Shelley Long. Um. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Yeah, that would be so much. Uh, no. that's, that's why Ted Danson pops up at the end. And the <laughs> <off his chair. laughs> Episode, I think you missed, John. <laughs> Uh, no, I think fell off my chair starring Ted. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great new show. It's coming soon. You have to watch. Unfortunately, it. we cannot find a shot or piece of footage anywhere of Ted dancing. <laughs> well, I think I looked for that before, and uh... <laughs> I perhaps you did get the episode. Ted. Yeah, no, I did. Well, there must be someone somewhere for the, from the Cheers years, but clearly not. But, hey, Kelsey Grammer's in an episode of uh, Next TNG. Yeah, and so. Called cause it's and six effect. degrees of Kevin Bacon, isn't it? Six degrees of separation. It's yeah. BB uh, Newworth as well. He played. Um, uh, was that the episode? Called? Wasn't that in First Contact? Um, yeah, yeah. The, first Contact. The, the film, TNG first contact episode. episode. Uh, yeah, she, she plays Lilith. Yeah, Lilith. That was it. And she was obsessed with Riker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's probably others, but that, they're all that I can think of right now. Yeah. Um, we'll come across more later. Sure. But yeah, but, this, this is this is Robin Curtis. Yes. What do we think of her? She's okay, but um, I never thought I'd say this, but you know, um, she didn't quite have the 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 like the uh, the the on screen presence of Kirsty Alley. I never thought I'd say that, <laughs> but uh, you know, mm. I mean, no, so it's a bit of a bit of a bland role, but I mean, she she does she does well. Um, but I say yeah, not Kirsty Alley, unfortunately, but but there it is. But no, she does does a good job. I listened to a podcast a few years ago. I won't name it. They slaughtered her performance. Hmm. Said she was bland. They understand. Oh. They can see why she doesn't get any work now. They were really kind of bordering on the cruel about her. Yeah. And they weren't Kirsty Alley fans either, but they were really like, this is terrible. And I can't see it. No. I actually. That's a bit harsh. Jeez. I actually prefer her for well. what she is in this film. I think she's, <laughs> she's trying to like be a bit more method. She's trying to be actually like, well, I'm going to be. Uh, a Vulcan, how a Vulcan would act and try to act like it, without emotion. Uh, whereas Kirstie Alley was a little bit more like movie star esque. Yeah, she's there. a bit more kind of had a bit more emotion because she yeah. cried at, at the funeral at the end. Um, we just briefly saw a tear, but I think yeah, she's kind of more. She has more to do in in this film. Obviously. She, she, she ran a lift with her like her hair down, like you know, sort of like very sort of flirtatious with Shatner. <laughs> yeah, it has a little moment in the yeah. lift. You're wearing your hair differently, Savick. I guess that's the thing, though, that in here she, it is a, a completely different role for her. She's yeah. not kind of in the thrust of the main um, of, of the main story. She's she's on the B plot. Yeah. Um, so other than kind of walking around and then kind of doing the Vulcan stuff with Spock, uh, it's not a massive match. But I think what I think for what she is, she she does it very well. I and think I, yeah, I, I, would she, I would say she's serviceable. Yeah, she you know she's fine in what what she does. We do see her get service later. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I do think that David, although a grown man, was very much the junior partner in the last film to his mother. Yeah. And in this film, it's almost like she's now taking the place of the senior partner. When they mm. find Spock, she's the one that reassures him. When he hits Ponfar, which we'll get to and try not to crack too many jokes, she deals with that situation calmly and does what needs to be done. I think there's a big and I can't see last week's... Which really Sabbath. annoys me. 
All right, we'll get to it because I want to know what that is. No, no, it's absolutely fine. I'd love to know what that is when we get there. Just the script, it really annoys me. Okay. Um, So I've actually always kind of liked Robin Curtis in this role. There's a change. There's a reason for the change we'll get to later. Uh, But for what it is, it it almost isn't the same character as last week. And this version of the character is better suited to this actress. And I think last week's was probably better suited to Kirstie Alley. And I just think that that's that's kind of the way it is. Yeah. But they go down, they 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 scan, don't they? And they find that there's va- vastly different weather in very small areas. So they go down there for a look, and they will go from like tropical jungle dis- mm. areas to like very piss poor looking snow. <laughs> in quite a, that's where the effects are at its worst pre the destruction of the planet. When they walk through the snow, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're walking through like a snow globe. It looks like, and the, yeah, it's obviously they, very fake snow. Although I do like some of the scenes when the planet just collapses in on itself. I mean, oh, yeah. that's I think those scenes are kind of the done. It's effective, but they can't, they can't hide what it is. No, it's and actually, the destruction. I can understand that being shot on a stage. You've got to control it, but it is a bit. It is a bit problematic, particularly as you could have taken a skeleton crew. The the snow bit isn't that much. America's a vast continent that you can easily find somewhere. But, you know, you only need to take the two actors and a skeleton crew. But there you go. It it is what it is. Uh, But they find something is wrong immediately. Yeah, I think for me, these are kind of the most the, the, the scenes where they are kind of walking around is kind of like a bit plodding. And that's where I kind of drop off a bit. Um, when they are just kind of walking around the uh, and noticing all the, the changes in temperature and that kind of thing. I think it hits at a problem with this film generally, Charlie, that there are two things this film has to undo, if you think logically. Again, with echoes later on in Into Darkness, that you've got to kind of forget the fact that death is cured and spaceships are obsolete, otherwise the series doesn't work. Similarly, you have to undo Spock's death but you also have to undo Genesis. You can't have Genesis in this universe as something that works. Because So I think we know immediately some, the moment we know something is wrong, I think we know this planet isn't going to endure. Yeah. And they take an awful long time in a relatively short running time to tell us that. Yeah, that, that's the bit, and, and those kind of where it's kind of finding out is where it's kind of drawn out and just kind of loses me a bit. I mean, you, you can tell kind of immediately when um, the when he sees that the, uh, the the little kind of squids around the uh, around Spock's torpedo, which we and are he, given to believe is basically the hyper evolution of the microbes that were yeah. on it, and David looks very shifty. Yes, he might dodgy. as well have been wearing like a thin tank <laughs> yeah. at this point. Mm. Very shifty indeed. His mm. Where's her... his mum in this entire film, though? Like, where, where's she gone to? She's vanished. She's... I don't know if it's a drop line anywhere that she's been reassigned to whatever, but they just wrote her out. Even There's on no the mention video. of it, though, is there, really? I, I don't, as I say, I don't recall a, a line in particular. There may have been one that my Bibi Besh, Bibi Besh was angry about it until she saw the film. And I, <laughs> she's actually, like... And then she was like, thank fuck, I wasn't that. No, it wasn't that. She actually (laughs) saw the end result. She could see why there wasn't really space for her and that they, she thought they made the right decision, actually. But she was quite hurt when she first found out. And even when they replay the Genesis video that 
mm. um, that the Klingons watch, it's yeah. now revoiced by the Shad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think you could have at least had her do that because it would have made sense that she w- she would be saying that. You yeah, you know that could have been a residuals thing. I don't know. That yeah, could have been a yeah, yeah. I, I imagine so. Yeah, thing I imagine. Because it's I, just, I mean, just a bit yeah. odd. That's, that's you know just a bit odd. That's what it kind of strikes you. Think, oh, okay, she's not in it. Okay. Yeah, and while Shatner's pretty good in this film, I do prefer her delivery of that speech from last week. But yeah, more heartfelt. It, it's just better. It, it's just better. It's it's almost like they've said to Shatner, "We need to redo this," and he's just quickly whipped through the words. Yeah, it's all right. It. It's but, all right. But last week we had a, a, a decent actress selling us that this is a proposal she really believes in, where Shatner just whips through the words. It ain't a big deal, but it's just like, I wish they'd just left that as it was. Yeah, so just not, 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 you know, not made any changes to it. But then we move on to, we've, we've, that's given time for the Shat to change out of his, uh, <laughs> of his uh, <laughs> and into his uh, purple seashell or whatever it is he's wearing. And then they're going to head off and steal the Enterprise, and I love this. Yeah, this this whole sequence is just uh, just just fantastic, and yeah, just just obviously leading on from the uh, the conversation um, where he says no, um, and <clears throat> interestingly, on in that scene where they're in the um, the the canteen or whatever it is, the commissary um, on Starfleet, in the uh, in the background is the model of Epsilon Nine from Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Okay. On the wall. Oh, never noticed that. Um, yeah, on the wall, which is quite interesting. It is um, considering that this series always seems like it's a bit ashamed of the motion picture. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but again, saving money. Are you saying the cantina? Certainly, the 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 sequence with bones in the bar. Yeah. Which is the, which is <laughs> the like scene. we Good talked scene. about last week because there's there's a lot of Vulcan in him now. And he thinks he can nerve pinch, but he can't. But he can't. He's like, oh, um, why isn't it working? But that is very, you know, the way he's trying to sort of surreptitiously get a craft yeah. and argue over money with slightly shady characters. That's very Han Solo in the cantina. That's what obvious And, and even later it? on where Sulu kind of shoots the console, that's very, like, on the Death Star. And yeah. there is a little bit of Star Wars in this sequence. Yeah. I'm very surprised he didn't go, oh boring conversation anyway or something you know no he just said don't call me tiny <laughs> don't call me tiny <laughs> that's a great line which apparently infuriated George Takei when he saw that in the script but then and he saw again, he had, he saw a, the he had a good reaction like, oh actually so, that works okay and actually, yeah, he, he you liked almost it call him Han Sulu oh but a, hey. Hey. good job thank you <laughs> It's funny because it's one of those things where it's the future through 1984 technology and what they thought was going to be. It's funny, this is two years after Blade Runner and Blade Runner is going to be this whole kind of prophetic and still looks some, like something that it's is kind of like, it's going to happen, yeah. Whereas you've immediately got the... Um, not in the next three years. Where they've, where they've stolen... Oh, yeah, the, I give it at least five. Yeah. They've, yeah, they've stolen the least, um, yeah. they've stolen the video game from Never Say Never Again. They yeah. have. Oh, that's that's <laughs> they look like those little games you put up to your eyes in the eighties. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly what yeah. I saw. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's people with tribbles. Um, yeah, what was all that about? Tribbles there. It's like, hmm, okay, yeah, just petting tribbles. Um, give them a squish. And the, and the, the the outfit that the uh, the waitress is wearing, the massive kind of peach shoulders and. Uh, 
It's just the strangest thing. Like the color palette gives it away almost as much as anything else. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I, kind of like the sequence and the stealing of it. What I love is whenever you need to, you need shorthand. Nearly everyone they come into contact with's got to be an arsehole. So like (laughs) Uhura's working with a complete dickhead. Wet behind the ears, cadet. He can't just be a decent enough guy. He's got to be a complete wanker. Well, (laughs) it's the role of if you've got to like lock someone in the cupboard, you can't like you can't really feel that much sympathy for your hero. Does like does something like that? So so he has to be a bit of a dick, you know? So Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he basically called, more or less calls a, a Uhura an old timer. Yeah, um, the harsh. and basically says whose career is winding, winding down. down. Winding down, yeah. He doesn't see a sexy fan dance in a couple of weeks. <laughs> then you'll then you'll know who's past it and who's not. Oh god! Oh dear! I mean, it's nice to actually give Yura something to do in this film because uh, after after last film, she, you know, after spending the entire film going like, "Hello, hello, anyone there? Can you hear me? Hello, hello, hello." It's quite, it's quite prophetic as well because it it prefigured the invention of Soul Glow by five years. <laughs> 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 he does have really impressive hair in this movie. Just let your hair. Sorry, Yura. <laughs> I'm only surprised they didn't listen to a bit of sexual chocolate on the way to, <laughs> on the way to Genesis. <laughs> well, I like this, particularly Sulu. And I, I love the fact that they've ca- they've cast a captain of the Excelsior that looks a bit like Dick Dastardly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so so he's not a bad guy, but he's like doing his nails and all that. <laughs> and it's this casual arrogance that we're going to go out and break all your speed records tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, and all the rest Harry, of it. That big kind of. Right, that's not a reflection on you, mate. They just built a newer ship. <laughs> <laughs> Foster model. And uh, being Doogie House's father as well. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, because he was in was in Hill, Hill Street Blues. Yeah. And I think I stuff like that somewhere, but yeah. I just cannot remember. James B. Sicking. Um, I'm going to look him up right now. Carry on talking, folks. Uh, and you got Miguel yeah, Seeger in there as well as the. Yeah, Murgoff Frey, yeah. Yeah, from, yeah. Uh, from, from Robocop. Robocop. Yeah. Uh, yes. 80s mishmash of references. Um, Robin Curtis was in Star Trek again. <laughs> yeah, she uh, was. She was in The Next Generation. She yeah. was. I, can't, I cannot remember the episode, but I have uh, seen Gambit. a shot of it. Oh. Apparently she turns up in... Uh, Gambit's a two-part episode. Yeah. All right. Oh. They got pretty good at the sort of two-parters, and it was the, the writer's way of sort of getting around the no-serialisation thing. Yeah. Um... What's the captain called? Sorry, the the Excelsior uh, Styles. Sorry. sorry, Styles. Yeah, Captain Styles as well. <laughs> Stylish. He locks his crew in the cupboard until they sort of get off with each other, and then yeah. <laughs> oh, there he is, James Sicking. Yeah, okay. Let's see, still alive. Eighty eighty-two now. Still going. Hill Street Blues, General Hospital, Doogie Howser, MD, The Pelican Brief. He was in a couple of episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh. It is one of those, because you've also got um, one of the Klingons at the end is played by John Larroquette. Yes. Yes. Who is not only the uh, guy who was the really kind of irritating, smug, um, lazy superior officer in Stripes um, with Bill Murray, but also did the opening narration for the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, um, okay. and then you've got another Klingon was um, a guy called Branscombe Richmond, who was in a very <laughs> terrible series that I used to watch when I was younger, Renegade. I see it. Yeah, oh, I remember. I that. remember that. 
that was a, that was a business in front party in the back. I remember Absolutely. that. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, also yeah. the uh, the cameo from Rand as well when they arrived. So, so many references in the show. It's great. It's kind of nice like John Carrot Larroquette does it in makeup. No, no, not at all. No, I didn't recognise the hold on yeah. But then you, you wouldn't know, would you at all? No, wouldn't he do like Richie Rich or something like that as well? I seem to have a memory of him. Well, let, let's not forget his finest hour. He was in two episodes of Joey. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh was, he, Joey. was he that rival actor who's like going to be like a? I think so. Yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like the. The one of the three people who actually seen episodes of Joey, so <laughs> not worth watching. And the Bruce Willis film Blind Date, <laughs> <laughs> co-starring Silla Black. <laughs> well, basically, no, it's, it. it's, 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 no, it's a one-joke one film. He set up on a blind date with Kim Basinger, told don't get her drunk because she's really wild. He thinks awesome. Right, I'm going to get her drunk. Gets a drink in her, and she's an utter mentalist for about the next ninety minutes. And that's the whole film. And then they fall in love and then they get married. And then they fall in love and marry. Yeah. Because that's what happens after a woman embarrasses you all night. <laughs> Spoiler. There you go. And he was in an episode of Remington Steel. Oh, wow. wow. This I must see. Like a Bond connection. I bet you're all glad you downloaded this, listeners, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> We're really getting to the nub of this film. I think, I think we'll Don get... Don Larroquette's we'll, minor appearances. We're we'll, we'll already getting into like, some facts now, aren't we? I didn't find any of those fun fa- facts facts funny, but <laughs> now I've got some more fun facts coming coming soon. Don't worry, I'm sure the listeners feel safe in our hands that way. I don't think that I don't think they're worried there aren't going to be any Becca. No, I think they'll be okay. Anyway, so they where steal do we go? the Excelsior. No, Robocop's your... boss steals the Excelsior with Dick Dastardly. Dick Dastardly. Yeah, they, go after, <laughs> they go after. I quite like all that, and it's the one well, bit of the film that takes steal time. The Excelsior, do they? No, I know. I realised that after I said it. I was hoping no one would notice, Charlie. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's all right. um, but that's that's the one bit of the film that's done because this film's only like an hour and three quarters. Yes, yeah, not a long film. It must be surely one of the shortest in the series, if not the shortest. Because there isn't much plot at all. No, <laughs> that's why. But they take their time over this bit, and you think by the time they get away, I think we are fifty minutes in. I think yeah. it's. I think it's around 50 minutes that the the Enterprise gets to warp and the Excelsior mm. can't. Mm. It's, it's an interesting mirror, this scene, of the end of Rafa Khan, um, where, the, uh, where they find out that the, warps, the warp drive is out and the Genesis device has been set off and the Enterprise kind of reverses away and then obviously there's a time clock there where they have to get out by a certain time. And very much here, the music is exactly the same. The, the kind of opening... The music from the queue in um, in Rathacombe is called Genesis Countdown, um, and here it's kind of adapted to fit here. And the kind of the angles of the Enterprise, as you see it reversing, are very very similar as well. Um, yeah. So it's almost kind of a replaying of that, which is quite nice. Kind of the way this this film does have a kind of like a, a kind of reflecting parallels with Wrath of Khan. And the space so station looks great. beautiful for a model. It looks so convincingly lit Absolute, up and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, a and film that ain't again, vastly expensive. And again, the the humour with the um, the doors <laughs> and Scott Scotty <laughs> and the doors, and Doctor McCoy being his usual irascible self, panicking. The doors, Mister Scott, yeah, they won't open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're getting rather close to it. 
Yeah, I like all that. It's really good. We do it see that space, space station again in Next Gen. It does get reused. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. fact, they use the same plates. They use the same shot and sort of superimpose the D over it. Um, as was uh, sort of outlined on the commentary. But from this point on, this film is nowhere near as good. I've enjoyed it up to this point, all of it. And I even enjoy, enjoy the first couple of scenes after they get away. Because you've got the skeleton crew on a low-lit enterprise. It does, it does all, make look, you wonder, all looking a bit pleased with themselves. It does make it's you like, wonder whether, like, well, why, like, why do you need so many crew members <laughs> if you want to like, operate? <laughs> if all it takes is, like, what, five guys? Yeah, well, it might take one, five guys for, for one journey, but you would have thought over time things need, like, maintaining. Yeah. And this yeah, is kind of like an emergency through. situation. Yeah, I mean, frankly, if they spent... And it doesn't work. This would, this would be an ancient film if they had to... This would be sort of an ancient film. This would be an, an extremely long film if they had to go out and collect, like, 400 of them. <laughs> <laughs> and well, then sneak, on to, yeah, sneak yeah. on to the Enterprise. <laughs> Especially the scene where um, I can't ask you to go any further. Um, Dr. McCoy and I have to go. Um, and you, you have 400 crew members 400 yeah. people yes. voting yes. on <laughs> and then a hanging chad controversy a la Florida 2000 yeah. when they go to count the votes well, I'm, I'm not going any further um, get off the ship then well we can't really we're already out um, but yeah and this this is again from this bit until kind of like um, the bit with where, where the, kind of the Enterprise gets um, disabled is probably the weakest bit in the film um even with the kind of, the, I guess the the kind of the Ponfar stuff is interesting, but kind of just it's played very kind of flat. Yeah, because basically the B plot is telling us that the planet is we're, we're getting shots of the Klingons killing each other and stuff like that, just to remind us how brutal and ruthless they are. Uh, and then we cut back to the planet, uh, and eventually, when the Klingons get down there, you find things are moving on ridiculously. They're fighting massive earthworms and things like that. Yeah, but, but things are not quite right there. The weather systems aren't right. Savick says says to David about this: something isn't right, and he admits to using proto matter, which is a Deus Ex Machina. For I basically didn't. But I I used a shortcut because it was the only way to get my theories to work. Is that his uh, so? The planet is aging really fast. And they have found a small Klingon boy, which I don't think is any shock when that grows into Spock. But no. he's aging with the planet, and he's aging in surges. So he'll be the same age for a while and then sort of sprint forward a few years. And basically we end up seeing about four or five different iterations of Spock as he ages. I guess it's, it's, it's interesting to look at the character of David and putting that on him, especially when in the previous film he was so kind of disgusted at Kirk and um, him he having cheated. cheated. Yeah, yeah. At Kobayashi Maru. And then going that from going to this is, yes. is, and it seems what, and I don't know why they felt the need to kind of load that on him as something he had done to make it unstable instead of it just kind of, I don't know. Because he, I think the thing is they've got to get, it's where this film isn't very well thought through because, has to or, get or they haven't got it, yeah. a lot of choice. They have to get rid of Genesis. They had two creators and only one was cast in this film. 
Mm. So it has to kind of be his error. It'd be a bit harsh if they just started blaming it on a woman who <laughs> yeah, yeah. that yeah. bitch. Look what Maybe. she did. Right? That was, <laughs> that's why she didn't agree to with the, That's why she wasn't in it. And I, I it have her heard fault. it's a bit of a stretch because they said, oh, it's David's actions that effectively killed Spock. No, it isn't. So, you know, the Kaplanic killed him. I, I, yeah. Oh, no, no. I no. just think that's that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. It's the Ponfar stuff's interesting because obviously they get to a certain age where they enter Ponfar. Now, for those listeners who haven't seen a mock time yet, Charlie, what's Ponfar? Um, Ponfar is Vulcan mating. Right. So we're not saying they only mate once every seven years. No. Okay. So what's the point of it? (laughs) Shag or die. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I'm not actually Say sure. Say your best chat up line, Becca. <laughs> no. It's a bit brutal. When he started singing like Barry White, she's thinking I'm gonna have to put I'm gonna have to put out here. <laughs> um, that um, little finger so rubbing sweet. thing you see is basically kind of part of the mating ritual. Yeah. So is that like kind yeah. of like having sex, like touching each other's fingers in a, in a kind of weird yeah. way? The complaints their police get, they must go to like fingerprint people. He's <laughs> <laughs> coming on to me. He's got all of them. No, that's quite interesting though. It's quite sort of like a really intimate sort of thing. It's kind of a moment that they share, and it gives you an insight into the character as well, which is really interesting. I think it was quite nicely played. <clears throat> Apparently, it was the really tender. Ponfire is when they get an actual kind of. It's not where it's more kind of like about an actual kind of biological urge rather than them just wanting to do it for any kind of attractive. It's when you're at the biggest risk of shagging a munter, you're saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's basically like spot and heat pretty much, isn't it? So <laughs> it, you get the sense of how painful it is because all like the young actors, he sort of portray him throughout the different stages of his life. All you can hear is like, argh, argh, you know, and to get a hint of how, of how painful it is and how stressful it is to go through it. And he's completely mindless as well, which doesn't help. Mm. No. There's no reasoning with him. He's kind of a vacant shell. It's yeah. almost like someone has stolen Spock's brain. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, okay. just thinking of that episode now. <laughs> so, so yeah, so brain. yeah, there, there's you know, you know, spaceships, gunfire. Sorry. How's your father? It's full of all the fun of the fear. <laughs> well, so supposedly, in the original idea was, um, in this sequence. Here, uh, Spock got Savic pregnant, and then from yeah. there on, had uh, had his baby eventually. But that was never uh, kind of made official in any in the films at all. Yeah, um, it was certainly intended. Sort of when you see her at the start of four, and you know, mm. follow up to this film, she's supposed spoiler. to be pregnant. Yeah, well, it's not a spoiler alert. She's in the start of the next. No, film. I know. <laughs> Joking. Because um, I've not seen it yet. I, I would like to hear the court hearing. You know, he's your father. Why? Well, I have no recollection of this uh, incident at all. <laughs> it's like, but the DNA evidence, like, I've, you know, I, there is no logic in this. <laughs> Actually, at that point, if, if uh, Bones had got someone pregnant, <laughs> would you have tried to blame Spock? What, <laughs> me? He's just going through Pond Far and his brain's in me. Not my fault. Oh. It's, it's so one one kind of interesting thing about that that comes up later as well is that um, at the end, going back to Robin Curtis's acting, um, one of the, uh, the 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 parts at the end when they all kind of see Spock in in kind of full when he when he's back to normal, um, apparently Leonard Nimoy said to um, said to Robin Curtis, 
um, imagine that you just walk into someone on the street that you had a relationship, a sexual relationship with a long time ago and just haven't seen them since. Do you reckon like Leonard Nimoy shagged her just to be method? <laughs> very, very possibly. We've got to, like, it's just so we give better performances. <laughs> Yeah. Always be what the and the Shatner's like, Christ, I'm directing too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's just, just kind of a little kind of background trivia about, about kind of like that that moment, which which we kind of see later on. But obviously the kind of Ponfar happens and then the Klingons discover them. Yeah. And uh, that's setting up the uh, for the arrival of the Enterprise. Yeah, um, obviously the the thing those of you who are not sort of familiar with the series might not um, remember is that a lot of Klingon ships can cloak, which means basically they they throw big cloaks. Oh, it's oh, basically oh. the di- the car from Die Another Day. It's on the like Vanish from Die Another Day, pretty yeah. much, but done better. Done better. Uh, <laughs> so they cloaked. They have to uncloak to fire, but of course I don't think they're initially aware that it's there. No, but don't uh, doesn't like Sulu uh, spot spot it so you notice there's like oh there's something's not right there's like that a thing, yeah yeah maybe yeah. they do have it the one from spot, Brian of the <laughs> 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 on account of him not being there and not having oh, a break so he said Sulu didn't he I thought he said Sulu yeah I don't know he, yeah maybe yeah they they kind of notice a bit of kind of fuzziness so maybe after all that it was the carbon dye another day that they used um, <laughs> with this terrible cloak. um yeah so as, as Dave said I mean that's going back to um balance of terror yeah. with the uh, the episode there and the cloaking device on the Romulan ship which is kind of like interchangeable later on and originally this was supposed to be a Romulan ship it was going to be Romulans in this story it yeah. was uh, uh Nimoy's choice to change this he and Howard Bennett sort of knocked out the story <clears throat> for this, and it was uh, Nimoy that wanted to change it to Klingons. Yeah, and so more, more sort of better known and more theatrical as well. <clears throat> better known, I would say. Uh, yeah, better known. Uh, and more warlike by nature. Yeah. yeah. Hence the fact that it's called a bird of prey, which was yeah. in, the, in the original series, it was a Romulan bird of prey. Yeah. Not only that, if uh-huh. you called it a chaffinch, I don't think anyone <laughs> would Starling. Klingon Robin. And if, if you notice, the underside is painted like a bird of prey, like the Romulan bird of prey is in the original series. Mm, there we are. Um, which oh, is a uh, really nice touch. And the, the design is beautiful of that ship. It's a lovely ship. And obviously it went on to be used in just about every other Star Trek series. Yes. Uh, and they even kind of retrofitted it in Enterprise and made newer older versions for uh, they bolstered that up slightly actually they even admit <clears throat> they that up in terms of the lineage of the craft but yeah it's fine and when you think of a Klingon ship if you are ever thinking of a Klingon ship it's this you tend to think of yeah and then next generation again Star Trek being all it's got stock footage and things like that in the yeah. next generation used all the time yeah Basically, Spock shags Savick in every episode of The Next Generation. <laughs> yeah. It's integral to the plot. <laughs> it's in his contract. <laughs> it has to pom every episode. <laughs> um, uh, we'll be, we wrote it. But it's quite, it's quite a nice little sequence as well, because they kind of, once they kind of figure out it's actually there, yeah. and, uh, and they, again, they, they kind of assume that uh, it has to... F- Decloak off before it can fire. Mm. 
so they get in first. But again, that's the kind of fallacy of, of, of the ship being automated, is that they didn't expect to see Klingons there, so they didn't expect it to be um, to take it into battle. And the Enterprise goes um, gets put out of commission pretty quickly by the uh, by the Klingons. So we we're coming up to the death of David next. How do we feel that was done? I I, despite what I said, there are it is one of the highlight. I mean it it's done bleakly as well. You know, I, you know I like how there's no soundtrack. You just basically hear like this fumbling. You see the knife go down, and you just hear like a sickening, uh, and it's I, I'm I'm just unsure about Shatner's performance. Because I do like the stumble, like off the chair kind of kind of thing. I guess it, does, does it? He's been watching some Ted dancing, hasn't he? Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> literally, yeah. It feels it feels really kind of real, and apparently it was improvised, but it feels like kind of more genuine. I think he's like, oh, yeah. cling on, bastards. But yeah. I, d- I think it's thing. I don't think I'm not sure. I'd buy the fact that he would say, "Cling on, bastards, kill my son." As a direct result of hearing his son die, he'll be like, "No, David," or something. He'll be like. You know, it'd be more like it'd be more like no, not David. David's dead. It'd be it's like also he's straight to anger. He's like you fuck. You know, I just feel it, it like does say you cling on bastards quite a lot. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah. it, I just feel like his it, it, his performance is okay. I just it's just the dialogue. I just think also it's just a bit. I don't know. I, I, I don't buy how he would go straight to anger. Like I guess it's kind of anger and shock. Because yeah. I, I really like the, the the scene. Kind of seems really kind of symbolic of that change, where Kirk, who obviously he is the captain of the Enterprise, he's the one that has always been in that chair, and for him to fall over the chair, mm. kind of represents a kind of really kind of how he is in that mindset. Which is why I can see him kind of going straight to anger because he's found himself in that position. And it's kind of, well, where are you going to be in that mindset? My son's just been killed. I've just kind of, I don't know where I am. Sometimes, I guess, the the first thing to think is think, you fucking assholes. Mm. I sort of come down the middle on this a little bit. The, both the performance and the dialogue, I'm a bit sort of up and down with generally. In that sometimes I look at it, and I have seen this film a few times, a good few times now, and sometimes I look at it and think it's a little bit overdone. Sometimes I think it's really appropriate. Sometimes I have heard that dialogue and have it great on me, and other times it seems appropriate. And I think on balance that just means I don't really have any great strong feelings about it. I think it's I, – I always, I'm always from the school of have a go, and they had a go. Mm. You didn't have to play it like this, but they thought they'd try something different, and that's okay. And again, it's it's not – Something you'd that people would see as as kind of stereotypical Shatner. No, absolutely not. It's not him overacting necessarily, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it almost continues on from the last film yeah. because that's the first film. In fact, it's probably the first performance ever, except for the fact in T.J. Hooker he's playing an older man by definition that he's ever really let go of his vanity. Yeah, as an actor, I mean, they, uh, Nicholas Mayer for, before the last film actually had to talk to him about it. It will look silly you pretending to be, you know, thirty-five or whatever. You mm. know, he had to talk to him about allowing the character to age. Yeah, and I think to be to, it's a bigger thing than we realise because we've grown up with years of 
of actors who are very method and do try to lose themselves in roles and seemingly have no vanity on screen. That that sort of era of leading man actor to show himself this vulnerable would have been unusual. I think. Yeah, I, my <laughs> unfortunately one of my also um, kind of big recollections of the scene was seeing it first when it was on BBC One, and um, they kind of they didn't beep it and they didn't replace it. They just kind of garbled bastard. Mm. So it's just like you cling on bastards. Yeah. Um, you cling um, on so, buzzards. Yeah, you yeah. are. It's like a really bad overdub of something else. Mud fudsters. <laughs> Melon <laughs> farmers? Yeah. You've got to be a bad mother crusher. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I like that one. That was, that was the ITV four o'clock showing of Robocop. If they go, they could brilliant. suck my duck. I, I, wish, <laughs> I wish I could get that somehow. If someone, I don't know if it, if it would be available for uh, for download anywhere. If someone, if someone had taped that and put it up. The, uh, yeah, oh, was, was, wasn't the IT one of Die Hard like Yippee Kimasabi or something like that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <clears throat> and um, yeah, because I and then ITV there was a- Aliens as well, which which kind of had lots of whoopee frigging do and really obvious kind of um, dubs. Yeah, and then uh, and then they they showed Robocop at like quarter to five in the wow. afternoon, and, uh, and it was just about an how, hour. How long. did they how did they screen it? Were they must have left the film must have been an hour long or something? Yeah, yeah, an absolutely. hour long. They cut out so much and dubbed so much over, and uh, it was. Um, what did I'm they show? About, I'm just about to. But I've done this before, but I've I've already. Um, I'm just about to post on our Facebook page uh, a Harry Enfield sketch. Now, oh. despite the fact I've done this before, I'm not actually the biggest about Harry Enfield fans, but it just sticks. He did a sketch called Bad Fellas, where it was oh, just basically, yeah. it was just basically like two gangsters talking to each other with all this bad dubbing in it, and it is <laughs> things like I I just she just sucked my duck and I ate her poppy. <laughs> I'm just going to put. I'm just posting that on the Facebook page first. Um, uh, yeah, I mean the death is the death is actually for a PG film. It is obscured by sort of grass or whatever. It's actually quite hard hitting though because you know the moment the blade goes in and, and his life leaves him. Yeah, it's quite emotional. It, it's the sound he makes. It's like oh, yeah, it's, oh it, yeah. It, it, it it sounds kind of real and kind of like oh that spit. Harsh, you know, mm. and and again, it's it's because it's done off camera essentially. Mm. It's done in a very kind of matter of fact way, so it's not kind of like sensationalized, which we're pretending. And of course, it's now a clip. It's now a, it's now a Vulcan who's going to tell Kirk. So by definition, it's not going to be loaded with a great deal of fear or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite very... simply David no, is dead. She's one of the few Vulcans I quite like the delivery of. It's not too flat. Yeah. It's very matter um, of fact, and this is what happened. And and then the the kind of the the, the death sequence that is sensationalised beautifully the, uh, the the death of the Enterprise explosion um, stupidly telegraphed in the trailer. Uh, um, yeah, that, that well, was meant to be like the big budget effects moment, wasn't it? So this is the one they stuck on the trailer. Like, Look, we've got this massive explosion. Yeah, and it's like, mm, really? yeah. It, 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 I did watch the trailer before, and it was like, oh, really? Do you have to put that in? But okay, it's, it's it's a big moment to get bums on seats. Yeah, I mean they did they, they do it and they did it in the last film in um, in Beyond, but at least that happens in the first act, so you kind of know you know. Yeah, not giving too much away. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, but, Is there ever going to be a Trek film where they don't blow up the ship too much too many times? Yes, all the other ones. All the other ones. Okay, yeah, thank except you. Except Generations. Oh, damn it. <laughs> 
Um, really so it's, it's not as common as all that, but they don't last that long. And it does seem that once they did it once, once they once they went there, it's not such a big deal to do it now. Yeah. And I do like the destruction sequence. I, I like the way because oh, yeah. they they're basically tricked, aren't they? Yeah. The Klingons basically yeah. bought. It, it's sort of and thing they've like disappeared. If Kurt was going to do it, this is how he would do it. He would do it as a kind of like a big fuck you to the guys who were. And it's perfectly timed as well because yeah. they beam out literally in the same shot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a really nice sequence where they do the whole where they have Chekhov and Scott and Kirk doing the destruct and the music kind of starts the enabling there, it with the building. computer. Yeah. Yeah. That is taken verbatim from an episode. Yeah. The language they use. Mm. So there's a consistency there. You still basically blow up the Enterprise the same way you did 20 years before. <laughs> yeah. um, I do think the Klingons are a bit thick, though, because it's like, oh, the, 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 there's no one here. No, no one, the, the, the only computer's talking. Like, what's it saying? It's like clearly a countdown. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that Klingon Yes. person, stupidest Klingon yeah. in the history of the world. And, and, and to add they ins- must be playing hide and seek with the computer. <laughs> yeah. And to add insult to injury, it, they're, they're saying that in English as well. So it's not like they're, they're speaking in Klingon and they're saying, like, oh, we don't understand this English dialect. You know, they're yeah. like, they're clearly saying English while hearing an English countdown repack to them. It's like, come on. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about what language they're actually talking in when we get to Star Trek Six, Because it is very inconsistent and it yeah. could it could be the hunt for red october trick but we'll talk about it when yeah. we get to six it's just how it's perceived on screen you know i mean like oh absolutely I mean, and I mean, the chances are given you actually hear them talk klingon in other yeah. scenes it is probably meant to be english but it's, it's not as it's, clear as you it, might it's, think it's just it's just odd because they are clearly when we introduce them they are speaking klingon to, to one another and then there are times where they're on board and they're speaking english to one another um, and I'm thinking, why aren't you just speaking in Klingon? There's no reason why you'd be speaking in English, you know. Yeah, that, that, that's always kind of been a thing with, with Star Trek for me. Is of course, um, I don't know if it, they just don't want to go in long, kind of long scenes with subtitles. But when you think of like Star Wars, um, the the opening of Return of the Jedi, all those scenes with Jabba the Hutt, where he never speaks a word of English, which is aimed at a notably younger audience than yeah. these films are, which yeah. is the irony. But um, yeah, as, as soon as when it starts blowing up, again, it's it's a beautifully beautiful sequence. And um, apparently, what they did is they kind of made the uh, um, the the front of the ship out of wax, and then just basically kind of started setting it alight. So you so could it say it's wax on film. You could. Ah. Ah. See what you did there. The world's, very, gone. the world's gone. The world's gone skewed. <laughs> um. And uh, so you see all the little bits kind of fading away, and you see the kind of registry fade away. I like that. And, um, yeah, and it's it's just a brilliant moment. And then that shot of it because that the, should look shittily superimposed, and it just doesn't. It's great. Yeah. Oh no, it's beautiful, and you, you see them kind of up on the uh, up on the cliff side um, where they've been down to, and then the ship kind of goes over. And James Horner's music there is just amazing. I I, I do like the. Um, remnants of the enterprise burning up on the mm. way into the atmosphere i think it's a beautiful shot pretty cool and effect that, and that line again is something that shatner could have really overplayed but it kind of it it kind of just stays the right what line. what have i done my god boss what have i done and then none of that what you had to do what you always do 
And again, it's the Kobayashi Maru again. Because that was the no-win scenario. Yeah. And But they don't believe there's any such thing. Exactly. And, and, again, it's, and even if there is, believing there isn't will get you out of situations you could easily give into. And that's what makes Kirk a very special captain that way. Mm. It is It is almost... He doesn't believe in the no-win scenario, almost because he's had a charmed life. He's had no reason to believe in it. No. Whereas New Kirk doesn't believe in the no-win scenario because um, Pike, because Pike, tells, <laughs> yes. Pike tells him about it in a bar when he's pissed. <laughs> and also he's a cock. <laughs> yeah. Well, because yeah, he's got daddy issues, basically. Because that's what his whole thing is about in the, in the new films. It's like, oh, my dad, you know. Oh, they are, I'm living in the shadow of my father, blah, 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 blah. And now in the new one, they're going to like, oh, no, we're going to actually bring back your father in this one. So it's just like, yeah. oh, just give it a rest of the dad thing. You know? <laughs> you know? But anyway, carry on. <laughs> um, and then, again, it's it's back to kind of like the old Star Trek where Kirk and an alien have a fight um, on the ground. It's not terrible. It, it is. great. It's a bad fight. Is I have had, that was um, was it South Park that did that? Can't remember. In the South Park film, that rings a bell. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I always think of yeah. It, I mean, I, I do remember it uh, for that one, but it, it's not a pretty. It's not a very good like kiss off line for like you know to, to go off the lead villain. It's not a, not a very good fight. Uh, it's it, it's very. Like the whole whole point of like you know he, he he almost like saves him he tries to save him but then he like erratically he sort of tries to kill Kirk as well it's just and it's just like oh come on there's no need for it it's just very very badly put together fight scene sorry <laughs> I, I don't feel as strongly as that about it I just feel it no, fits in with the slightly perfunctory nature of the film that the the important things in this film have now been done um it's a, 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 a planet tearing itself apart is a good way to sort of get the sort of ticking clock into it. But the fight is all we've got to end this film somehow. It's obligatory. I don't really care about any of this. I guess that's the, that's the thing is, is this film ends on a, uh, an, an, an emotional character level um, with its finale rather than the traditional, um, kind of thing of we've got to do this now but at this time before we do this that essentially is the end of the third act and there's still another kind of act to go with the whole kind of thing with Spock I mean yeah it's, it's again it's it's very much it's very much like the original series really I don't know if I can't remember if Kirk does his kind of you know the one where he's got both arms uh, both hands together and uh, kind of goes for the double double hand kind of I know I think of arena yeah, I watched the fight in arena. Hand to hand combat's come a long way on film. Yeah, um, and, uh, and again, it, there's a couple of moments where he says like, "If we don't save each other, we'll die here." And yeah. the Klingon's very much kind of, "I'll just be a Klingon." And uh, yeah, it's like perfect. Then that's the way it should be. It's like, oh, yeah, why? Anyway. Yeah, and again, that that kind of yeah. that only makes sense in retrospect as well. Because if you go and watch dozens of episodes of like The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, enough meat gets put on the bones of the Klingon um, culture yeah. that this makes more sense in Actually, retrospect. Yeah. 
Yeah. But here it just it doesn't come off as noble or Harry carry anything. It just comes off as pointlessly self defeating. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of if if so it's like you're kind of being pissy fine, well I'll die as well. Yeah, it's like, right. Yeah, it's more pathetic <clears throat> than anything else. Yeah, so if I'm not gonna have it, you're not gonna have it. No. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um and then yeah, he uh Still, Spock doesn't get to vi- you know visit the place he lost his virginity very often after this. <laughs> I shagged her, but well, not there. And uh, and you get to hear Shatner um, speaking Klingon. Yay. Yes. Um, you, you never get that's a shit uh, accent. <laughs> Who's that? Yeah. It's like accent. I grant you. Why is there's some Earth bloke doing a really pigeon Klingon voice here? What's this? <laughs> Which part of Kronos did you come from? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they get onto the bird of prey. I don't think the guy who calls them up realizes that it it isn't you know. Yeah, it's, 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 it's uh, Lena, Yeah. And then it's you. You will. Ha- you can kill me, and it's like I'll kill you later. Yeah. I kind of like that though. I kind of like that. And then, then and then he says like, uh, "You promised to kill me, so I lied." <laughs> He's just I know. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> And then we go to this film's, yeah, I mean, it's almost like, it reminds me of the Little Britain sketches with Barbara Cartland, when she just puts a load of fucking bollocks in to try and get to a certain running length. <laughs> um, this scene is painfully long. Back on Vulcan. trying yeah. to. Right. Now, I can understand giving it a bit of solemnity, but it is almost like, what's the running time at? Have we passed 140 yet? <laughs> All right, let's just do this for a couple more minutes. I mean, by the time we get to this point, I just feel like the film hasn't earned this ending. It hasn't earned like to spend like the the final 15, 20 minutes uh, as a you know to as a big you know kind of like ceremony, which isn't really, which is kind of slow and boring, and you know that's meant to actually build up to something that's actually kind of emotional, like the return of Spock. It's but the far film, too the, slow. Yeah, and it, but it hasn't. Well, for me, in 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 my in the two viewings that I've had, I've watched it twice. It hasn't justified, like it hasn't. It hasn't. Well, the only film I can think of that's tried something similar isn't a great film in itself, but it did this better. Yeah, Avatar. When they tried to save Sigourney Weaver's character. Yeah, but that was, yeah, but yeah, I, I remember that wasn't. But it's like, a, it is it is a similar principle. Yeah, but it's tenser than this. Yeah. This is just fuck me. This is taking forever. Similar principle, but it's a it's not as long, and b you've had a, a shit ton of like you know of action. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, before, I'm not trying to tell higher. any listener Avatar is a great film. I'm trying to say that it's a similar principle of done scene done, done a hell of a lot better. Yeah. Because there's real tension in it, if you remotely care. You may not. But if you remotely care about the character, it's quite tense. We don't know what's going to happen. And it's over within a reasonable runtime, within a film that is a lot longer than this. This is just... I don't feel any tension with it. I mean, it's show, don't tell. And Bones is told it's dangerous. That's all. Yeah. Well, they were all pretty confident saying, we'll bring him back here and we'll sort it all out. So apart from that job drop reference, it never would have occurred to us. It's dangerous. I'm kind of on two sides. It, I think they, it needed to be of a certain length. Yeah. Um, so it's not just turn up and flip a switch and it happens. And it, and kind of also, I think it's, it's something to kind of an, an attempt to kind of show um, more of the kind of cultural side of the Vulcans, and again go back to the kind of original series. 
and kind of explain a bit more. And it does go on. I, I can sit through it because of James Horner's music, because his music makes the scene feel a lot, however, a lot shorter than it is. But I think it is definitely too long. But so it's a minor thing for me. I don't really yeah. care that much. And then you get um, Spock sort of basically reborn, and he's not quite himself. You can tell he's not quite himself. Reminds me of um, Nimoy's performance in the motion picture when he first comes aboard, where he looks completely distracted. And he's looking along the crew just to see what you can see. He's sort of trying to place these people from this fog of a memory he's just been reunited with. Um, And if you didn't know absolutely for certain him and Savick had done what they did, look at the look between them. Savick looks down almost a bit embarrassed. Yeah, that was what I was talking about earlier with with the the direction that Nimoy gave her. And the fact he shagged her five times to prepare. Um, but, but no, in, in all seriousness, she looks she looks down a little bit embarrassed because bear in mind yeah. that's now Captain Spock stood in front of her. That's now like her superior. It's all a bit like oh fuck. But then he looks at Jim, and and that's kind of that's all he remembers. There's a very halting bit, and for saying this scene's too long, I don't mind this bit. The, the following Spock trying to reconnect with his own mm. memory, I don't mind at all. And again, it's it's Nimoy showing um, again something Chris mentioned earlier. It's it's having a, a Star Trek film without Spock. It's something that had to be done to get to this moment. But and you see when this moment and and um, Shatner and Kirk, Shatner and Kirk, um, Shatner and Nimoy together, and kind of like when Nimoy suddenly kind of replaying it in his mind and things, the ship out of danger. Um, yeah, and you saved us, don't you remember? And then it is the uh, Jim. Your, Your name, name is Jim, the and it's delivery. Be- that's great. Yeah, it's such a beautiful moment. And then the Star Trek fanfare kicks in. Uh, thumbs up, freeze frame. Yeah, yeah every, everyone starts laughing. The, the, the spotlight raises an eyebrow. And everyone goes in for a group hug. You know, yeah, 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 and you and you see what's that's beautiful. And then they ask him how he did Savic, and he demonstrates. <laughs> <laughs> he ba- yeah, basically does a Roger Moore. It's like because oh. <clears throat> eyebrow raising. They, they all give for the hug, and he kind of. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I'm genuinely not this dirty. It is watching seven Roger Moore films in a row. <laughs> it's changed what I expect from movies. <laughs> That Sorry, what, that, that's what happens when you go through a lot of rogering. Yes, um, <laughs> but it's, it's, on this it's, it's, it's when he gives that that eyebrow and the the pure delight on Shatner's face, yeah. on Kirk's face that he's back. He's thinking, "Thank fuck, another movie." And then <laughs> I go for that, another one. And mm. then it actually goes back to the the music goes to the original Star Trek theme. Yes, the, the it does. full fun, and then the whole and the adventure continues bit. So it's kind of like Star Trek Spock's back. Star Trek is back. The whole gang's here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Including Yahura, a... who's just literally turned up. <laughs> yeah, she's not in this film at all. She's in it for apart from obviously shoving that yeah. book in the, in the closet, yeah. and then I'll oh, meet you at the rendezvous. She, she's and not then really, she's, she's, at the end. she's not really well served in the past few films, has she? Really, she's like spent the entire last like you know. Last you don't film. want her on a disintegrating planet without flammable hair. <laughs> Soul glow's not. It's still in research and development. At this point, it's not been properly tested. 
Um, it's very silky smooth, though. So this is the, this is the same year Michael Jackson's hair caught fire. Is it on the set? Of, yeah, on the set of a Pepsi video because he had so much lacquer in his hair, and a load of fireworks went off and set it on fire. Oh dear! Ouch! Yeah, so it's um, probably safe that she wasn't in this film. Yeah. No, it it is poorly served actually because she kind of does appear out of nowhere. Yeah, it's a bit um, random. I mean, she, yes, she makes the best say, of what yeah. the scenes that she does have, but it's just the fact that she's hardly in it at all. It's like, oh, yeah. Okay. She d- she does say, "I'll meet you at the rendezvous point." She does. Yeah. Which displays a stunning level of confidence. Yeah, and another. <laughs> she could have just been stood there. And and another the star. Oh, la, 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 just waiting. Yeah. Um, another uh, Star Wars callback from the yeah. end of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, but it's no, I, I, it's it's a lovely ending, and it's like yay Star Trek and ends on a high. Yeah, this is certainly me as a fan, but it just yeah. yeah it's, I it's, I I don't dislike great. this film at all. Um, it's it's the lesser of this sort of run of three, of which this is the middle one, certainly. But it follows on quite nicely from last week. I think the first fifty minutes are good. Um, I think the hour after that does feel like fairly cheap television, but it still has good character moments. And for, for, for not having an awful lot of flair as a director, hello, three men and a baby would challenge that, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, and still, we, we it does yeah. <laughs> um, But for not having a lot of flair, we know we're in the hands of a director that knows these characters. Mm. And the way they interplay with each other. So, for all the visual flair lacking, and a very thin plot, and a film that exists just to undo last week's, we've got a couple of excellent set pieces, particularly the stealing of the Enterprise and the destruction of the Enterprise. We've still got Shatner on close to top form, not quite as good as last week. And we have uh, a story about characters and loyalty and, and all the things that, having been a fan of the series, weren't. So it's not a terrible film. It's a cheap film. Uh, they're all cheap films, but this looks a cheap film. And it could have been better, but it's following a masterpiece. I think as well is that something that this cast did in these runner films, um, and even in, in Generations for me, um, comparatively, is whatever's going on, in the uh, in in the films, in terms of budget, in terms of story, they're a cast. There's always these character moments that kind of sees it through that I don't get with the next generation, and I don't get with the reboot cast. Not in the films, no. No, the, um, the and, reboot and, cast came fairly close at the end of Beyond, but not. Yeah. Oh, not yeah. Beyond that. was so much a huge improvement on the, on the previous two, but where uh, not quite I mean, sure. I agree over the. I take your. I know why you in, think that. Yeah, think. yeah. Um, but, but the, the cast where, have grown into their role certainly. I mean, again, the odd numbered curse is one that's mentioned often, and the film we'll kind of watch in a couple of weeks. Star Trek Five is another one that's largely derided, but again, for me, still has some beautiful moments of character that kind of really set it as a part as a Star Trek film, mm. um, and uh, that's why a lot of reasons why these films um, succeed so much for me is because that interplay, those characters are there no matter what happens and because of who is around all these all these um the cast are so used to playing them here you've got a director who is 
someone who was one of the cast members or is a cast member and so they they all know it and uh, it's that camaraderie of people that you see working again and again and again for so many years and again it's not even being on the films it's kind of like imagine being friends going to the cons i mean i know there was kind of between a lot of them and particularly shatner and some of them no they all hated shatner with the yeah. exception of the other main two. Um, yeah. But they, I think they all kind of liked each other. Yeah. Um, and you can see that the actual camaraderie there, that's such a genuine part. And it is such a reason why these films are still beloved, um, despite whatever flaws they uh, they have. Some of which have many, some of which have few. Well, that would have been a wonderful place to leave it, but we've still got two opinions to come. <laughs> <laughs> so having, having just talked it up and almost you know, got a tear out of me. Let's have two people slag it off. <laughs> yeah. The naysayers of the group, yeah. Um, well, I'm not really going to, not really a naysayer. I'm kind of just on, on the fence, really, because it's not amazing, but then it's not terrible either. Um, I, I enjoyed it. As I said, three out of five. I mean, there are some set pieces, obviously, and the, and the um, I think the, the bit about Shatner's performance that I really like here is when he's like, stumbles backwards off his chair Um when he, when he learns of, of David's passing. Um, but other than that, I do find him quite hammy. I'm sorry, I must say. Um, but I say, it's just one of, it's, it's a difficult middle film, isn't it, really? It's going to fucking explode when we get to Generations, then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I vaguely, I vaguely, I vaguely like memories of that. Lousy psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the one with Tom Hardy in it? Hmm. No, <laughs> uh, well, Shatner's not in that, so yeah, no. you can argue well, that right, is a bit weak. No. Oh, no. <laughs> that's Christmas. Yeah, it's like Mrs. Kirk. Mrs. Not appearing in this film. Um, what's Michelle Nichols, isn't it? Madam Not appear- Hardly appearing in this film. Um, but no, it's okay. I would say just generally three out of five. Um, you know, some really interesting visuals, um, some really nice effects, some of the largely naff 80s effects. Um, a few inconsistencies in the plot, um, dodgy 80s costumes, um, but yeah, generally three out of five. I can't say any more than that, I'm afraid. Anyway, Chris. Chris, let's leave us feeling great about this film. <laughs> I don't mean to be like, I don't get much pleasure out of um, giving a film a kicking uh, unless the film really, really deserves it or makes me angry. I fucking love it. Like Die Another Day. <laughs> I fucking love wrecking films. Or Octopussy. I know, I, 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 know, I know you do. Well, you know, but I, I, I'm generally quite sort of, you know, like, I try to be as fair as possible. Um, there are, this film does have moments. Uh, I think what, what is good about this film is it the the cast all want to be there. There are some genuine good moments. There are, you know, they, you do get general affection for the characters and the series. Um, and there are there are a few you know good iconic moments, i.e. The, the destruction of Enterprise and the death of David. Uh, I but I think that for me, when it comes to actual film narrative is key, and this does not have. A good narrative. I don't think it's well thought through. Well, it's uh, no th- cliffhanger, admittedly. I, I, well, you know what? Cliffhanger <laughs> kicks this ass. This cliffhanger is a way better film than this, and I say that with a complete straight face. No joke in the client. I've got to see that film. It's amazing. He's on the whiskey, to be fair. No, no, I'll say it's over. Um, but no, it it's not. 
a very well constructed script. It's not very you know, well thought out um, idea. Now, ideas is not enough in there. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of like of like. Oh well, let's continue the story on. And I know I can see the narrative because they, you know, it's a search for Spock and they find Spock. But that's more or less it. They kind of they they kind of address Genesis as a as a failed project, and then they kill David and destroy the Enterprise, and that's. Basically, what's hap- what's happened? It's a film to undo the last film. Yeah, and I, I, I just don't think it's does it in a particularly efficient or good way. Um, and the, the direction is a bit flat for my liking. Um, it's, it, there's no pizzazz. Nimoy does a, a stand-up job, but it needs it needs a good, decent story to back it up, and it isn't there. Uh, so for me. Such a spot is a bit of a letdown, um, sadly. And I think by the time we get to the the last act, where it's just like, you know, oh, we get to spend like twenty minutes of a ritual that we all know the fucking outcome. You know, it's 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 just like, oh, please, just fucking end the film. Well, what's what's the point? You know, you know, we we could have we could have like could have done something interesting. Could have had this like done like towards like halfway point, and then and then done something. You know more efficient with the, with the story I you know I just feel like this is this the story wasn't fully realized it feels rushed and um, you know I don't hate it I don't hate it you know, I, you know but I just I can't I don't think there's anything to hate really is no there? I just I just can't really say this is a good film you know I can't really sort of say that with any clear conscious but cliffhanger is cliffhanger rules <laughs> yeah would have been nice if they'd introduced the characters and stuff, but you know, fair enough. <laughs> Twatting around on the mountains, <clears throat> uh, I be- I beg to differ, sir. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, cliffhanger shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fighting talk. It is. It is. It is kind of. Yeah, but it's only Chris. We're not worried. <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, yeah, the, I just just kind of thinking of it as this film itself being a kind of Kobayashi Maru, the kind of the no-win scenario you have to bring Spock back but to do that you have to undo the previous film yeah it's kind of yeah. it does what it says on the tin uh, yeah which is a horrible cliche kind of yeah, yeah. they could have introduced his twin brother uh, Flock <laughs> at least they didn't time travel uh, also played by Leonard Nimoy um, yeah <laughs> Because they could, cause they could have just said, okay, well, they kind of could have done what they did in Nemesis and just like bring on like a like a second data, like <laughs> like, like like a clone or something. Yeah, a clone. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'd, yeah. They could have gone and got the one with the goatee from the Mirror Universe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Also parodied quite well by Star uh, South Park. Yeah. They've all got moustaches. South Park is genius at parodying stuff. I love every time the South Park just rips a piss out of something. It's so quick as well. They're just so clever. Well, having depressed ourselves with those lukewarm reviews, is there anything fun that we can do? <laughs> I've got some fun facts. With facts like those, you'd make a lousy psychiatrist. You just got the sunshine, yeah. Moonlight, 
Yeah, so I've got a couple of fun facts here for you that you probably will already know, but never mind. Fun fact number one. It's Leonard Nimoy uh, direct this film. Is that a fun fact? No, never. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, it was, but... You Cross mentioned that it already. one off. Like, uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Go now, I've, I have an even more funner... Star Trek 3 is the... Uh... Third Star Trek. Third film in the Star Trek movie series. Okay. Let's, let's, we're not allowing ourselves, we're not allowing the fun in here, are we? Let's all be quiet. Pray silence for Ms. Becker. <laughs> I'm certainly concerned that these facts aren't fun. And I have to find more fun or facts. Um, yeah, so in the turbo lift scene when Scotty goes, that'd be a shaft. Um, that voice is done in Nimoy, although he's credited as Frank Force. Um, yeah, so obviously there was a great fire on the production set. At Paramount, um, and obviously the Shats thought, right, okay, I'll be brave and heroic and help fight these flames. But no, it was just very self, uh, self-interest. As obviously he was shooting T.J. Hooker the following day. Um, fact number three: obviously Robin Curtis takes over from Cressy Alley. Um, no, quite, not quite sure why. <laughs> you right? Don't die. Hang on a minute. You are quite. You are sure why? Because that's the fact. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but he is why. Yeah, so, okay, fact number three. Um, obviously, Hang on, you haven't finished with fact number two yet. <laughs> fact number you two. You said about Robin Curtis and said, I don't know why. But I've received <laughs> this fact, and you do know why. Why is Well, Curtis- no, I was trying to find an exact reason as to why, but generally it all comes down to money. Um, I think maybe her agent was a little bit, you know, just a bit too overzealous and was like, right, okay, we're going to demand more cash. And Paramount were like, oh, no, we're not paying that. So... I generally think it generally no, comes down to money. we got all this cheers money coming in. Oh, exactly. This is it. And plus she was off doing, you know... She's quite prescient given she hadn't even started in Cheers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, wasn't, wasn't Cheers a Paramount show as well? Cheers was, was a Paramount show, but it ran 82 to 93 and she didn't join till about season six. No, it took quite a while. I always preferred Shirley Long anyway. I preferred the Shirley, uh, Shirley. I preferred the Shelley. Don't call me Shirley. Uh, <laughs> I preferred the Shelley Long seasons, but I do think the change prolonged the show. I don't think it would have run 11 series. No. So I think it gave it new life, but yeah, I do prefer that. It would have been funny if, if Shelley Long had shown up as Havoc. Yeah. <laughs> quite neurotic about hygiene and stuff. And that. Well, it's, it's got present because Cliff, Cliff the Postman was in Empire Strikes Back. Oh, really? He was. He was in Superman yeah. as well. Yeah. Superman 2. Uh, I think you, we should continue the fun facts because at the moment yes. I feel about 40% fun. <laughs> Continuing on from the Robin Curtis theme, um, since 2004 she has also had a successful um, career as, in, as a real estate agent in New York. So that's what she does when she's not doing acting. Or as we like to call it, an unsuccessful <laughs> acting career. <laughs> when not and a successful run as a shop assistant afterwards. <laughs> Oh, we're not appearing at, um, at Trek conventions. Oh my God, that's 60% fun. 60% Let's go. Fun. Nearly there, nearly there. Um, oh, I've got one fact to go. Have you got a Hang fact? Hang on! We, we can share with us. We'll have to make some shit up in a minute. Carry on. <laughs> well, one fact to go, which means we've got a fun fact from Charlie he can get from his own knowledge. That's fucking um, pressure, isn't it? He knows <laughs> Sorry, I went, are you down? That's why these facts are so fun, see, because I always put Charlie on the spot. So, yeah, um, the Royal Commander crew really didn't go to um, Doc Brown. Um, would have had um, Adama know, himself. Doc Brown's a fictional character. <laughs> no, obviously. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd, his name I briefly forgot. Um, yeah, we could have had James um, 
commander uh, Adam himself, um, Edward James almost in the role. That would have been very interesting. Um, so those are my fun facts. Charlie, do you have one? I actually think he would have been better casting. Or Lord yeah. Green. Lord <laughs> Green. The other commander Adama. Yeah. Yes, the other one. Yes, that's the one. Um, the uh, the USS Grissom, the uh, the, the science ship, um, because this story was actually named for. Um, Virgil Gus Grissom, who was a uh, one of the original um, astronauts on the Project Mercury for NASA, and uh, was killed in the uh, pre-launch test for the Apollo One me, um, mission. That's also 19- who Thunderbird Two pilot Virgil was named for. The what? Sorry? That's also where they get Virgil from Thunderbird Two. You oh, just okay. ruined the whole show. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, you can do, um, do that again, and I won't interrupt you, Charlie. Sorry. I'm only kidding. Fucking hell. It was a throwaway <laughs> remark, not fuck you. <laughs> it's staying in. It's extra factage. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, Gil, Gil Grissom from um, CSI was also named after him as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Is factage an actual word or have you just invented one? I've just invented one. Ah, brilliant. <laughs> Which is also factage. a fact. <laughs> Which itself is now a fact. We're drowning in facts here. All <laughs> <laughs> about the factage. Show you about fun. the fun, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Probably too, too fun. factage. We're under pressure next time because, you know, facts about whales. <laughs> I might do that in you know, five fun facts about whales. Yes. Yeah, lots of I posted fun. their national anthem to you the other day. <laughs> The national vegetable is the leek, and yeah, no. <laughs> Derek and Clive get the horn. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, um, they're That's arguing about whales, but they're at, they're at cross purposes. Um, one of them's talking about whales, the country. One's talking about whales, the animal. And uh, he said, well, yours doesn't have a national anthem. And he goes, yes, we do. And on the spot makes up this stupid little fucking song that I'll post on our Facebook page in a moment. <laughs> That's not the best context. <laughs> well, yeah, they've got a Harry Enfield sketch on there at the moment that's not related to anything, so why not? <laughs> okay, so where can we find us all on social media? Uh, you can find me at uh, Cinematronics on Twitter. Uh, you can also find this podcast on my website where I also uh, have other podcasts, which I rarely update, at <laughs> uh, cinematronics.co.uk. There was a recent release, though, of Chris and I discussing yes. the summer releases. Yes, which... Uh, uh, Chris had more releases this summer because he's seeing someone. <laughs> they let him out more often. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, Robert is very satisfied. No. <laughs> <laughs> he's looking less grizzled by the day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going love affair with... Yes, this is Chris's ongoing love affair with the lead villain from Robert Darby. Now, Sanchez is fictional. His romance with Robert Darby is the real thing. (laughs) Darby does real loyalty, though, so he's uh, it's that. Did did I tell you about the the Twitter interactions I had with Robert Darby? God for that. I thought thought you were going to tell us you had him first. (laughs) Break Chris's heart. Because he is, um, he's a right wing as fuck. Yeah, he's yeah, he's a Trump supporter. He is. And yeah. um, me and another guy on Twitter decided to um, tweet him a couple of times, and he tweeted back. Oh, good. And I must he, see he was, he, I, he was. I have to dig up the tweets, but he was not particularly happy. But he also he does he does is a, he does Sinatra concerts. Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, Sinatra tribute act, doesn't he? 
Yeah, we took the piss out of that as well. Good. <laughs> It's just, it's just like it's, I love Robert Davi so much, and he's been in so many great films. Finding out these people are um, Trump supporters is rather uh, nothing wrong with Trumping. Gets rid of a bellyache sometimes. <laughs> Where can we find you, Charlie? Um, you can go for the search for Charlie. Um, is a lot less. Um, so long search for Charlie's basically a drugs raid. Isn't it? <laughs> 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 Carry on. Um, you can find me on um, Twitter at Films on Wax. Um, you can find our website Films on Wax at filmsonwax.thedigitalfix.com and I actually updated it today so uh, surprise surprise there's actually some new material on there right now you can find me at the pasty kid 1976 on twitter when I'm not posting irrelevant unrelated clips on our facebook page you can find me at our view movies or you can find us at expect us to talk on twitter uh, facebook.com slash Expect us to talk. We can drop us a line via email. Expect us to talk at gmail.com. Wow, well, like, we, we haven't got on Pinterest and all that yet. So. Well, we, we finished and we found Spock, which means Becca! <gasps> Do you expect us to talk? We'll return with Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. <laughs>